This is the Kick Aspirational Podcast. We are in Season 3, Episode 2, and I am sitting with the one, the only, acclaimed author, (laughs) professional surfer, man of many talents, filmmaker... The real Rob Bell. Rob, thank you for spending the day with me today. Is this a good one? This has been such... I'm going to high five you right now. I'm going to high five as well. This has been such a spectacular day. Um, I think we were 8.30-ish a.m. was the call time, and now we're at uh, approaching 5.30 and going strong. Yeah, I mean, it's... uh, that's what I was hoping for. I, me too. Me too. It's been beautiful. I got in late last night, and uh, had, there's a lot going on in my life right now. So I woke up kind of early, and um, uh, you know, the best thing I could have done this morning is get in a car and drive up here and <laughs> go for a surf with you. We covered a lot of ground. We covered a lot Almost of ground. Almost last today. guys in the water. Yeah. <laughs> Almost. Until yeah. one guy showed up. The, yeah. That one guy. But you know the. Um, I was. I want to get into some of you know how we met and and how we got to this and and a lot of those things because I think that it's a good backstory for for mm-hmm. listeners. But um, you just your last podcast, your end of the season podcast with Alexander uh, Shia. Oh yeah, was fantastic. Mm. And it was so. Uh, I was just listening to it. It it, it really hit me because mm-hmm. you guys were talking about you know wrapping up a big project or a tour or a phase in life. And then making the leap to the next thing, and what that feels like, what that what that yeah. looks like. Yeah. Um, and I think you're somebody who's done that in bigger ways than, <laughs> than many. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, do you want to? Um, I thought maybe it might be kind of fun to start there a little bit, and mm-hmm. then drop back into some mm-hmm. of the some mm-hmm. of the stories of your life. But um, what was it? I, I guess the the first big question I have is, you know, when you, when you think about when a lot of people come to your your workshops or your two days or the different, different, um, really kind of intense uh, work events that, that you put together where people come with their projects or their mm-hmm. life stories and they're trying to break through somehow. Oh uh, yeah. And you said, you know, a lot of times people will leave their job or leave their <laughs> church or you know, they'll like make these abrupt changes. Why do you think that is? Well, uh, my sixth grade teacher, Joan Iwasco in homeroom, I remember her, I've been I would have been 11. Joan Ayahuasca? Yeah, Joan Ayahuasca, <laughs> interesting enough, close. Uh, I remember her saying that you need to get good grades because once you go to high school, your grades are going to count. Yeah. They're going to go down on your permanent record. <laughs> the permanent record. And then when you got to high school, they were like, hey, you need to get good grades because um, they'll get you into college. And you get to college and it's like, hey, you need to get good internships, get your foot in the door so when you graduate, you can get a good job. And then you're at that job and you're driving in some morning and you're stuck in traffic and there's that existential elevator drop, that thud, that what is the point of any of this? Right. Um, there's something about this modern system. It's like at every stage of the game, there's somebody leaning a ladder against the building going, this is how you climb. Right. And some of us, we got, and I'm still a lot of listeners, we got really good at climbing the ladder. Just show me where the ladder is. And so it's sometimes the ladder is just be the first car in the parking lot, the last car to leave. Right. Just be the one who contributes the most valuation to the company. Just be the one who does whatever the boss says un- without any questions or hassle. You know what I mean? Every ladder. I mean, not really, but yeah, I've, I've heard of people like that. <laughs> you, you have a friend who? <laughs> yeah. But what's interesting is we never, in many ways, in the modern world, most people never took a class uh, teaching them how to ask, is this ladder even leaned up against the right building? Right. Um, and, and so that soul, spirit, um, your deepest self, uh, obviously, there are these great wisdom and philosophical and spiritual traditions that were all designed around 
teaching you how to listen to the deeper dimensions of who you truly are. So you have people, they're reading from someone else's script. Um, their parents want them to do that. They don't want to be doing that. Right. Uh, they bought into an idea about how much money you need to be happy, and so they're killing themselves. So at some level, some of my work is to create a space where we can go, uh, who are you? What are you doing here? And what voices, oftentimes uh, with people, I, we, we need to slow way down and, and listen for the voices that are on their shoulder. Yeah. That have given them a whole head full of stuff about what they're supposed to be doing, but it, it actually hasn't brought any joy or satisfaction. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, I think we talked about this a little bit today. You know, when you think about an era of philosophy, the standout philosophers yeah, yeah, are the yeah. ones who somehow were able to separate themselves from the arguments that were going on. <laughs> right, 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 right. And not get caught up in the grind of it and yeah. say, wait a minute, what are the fundamental assumptions everybody's working off right now? Yeah. And they question those, and it kind of upsets the whole the whole model, right? right? The whole right, paradigm. Right. You've done that repeatedly. <laughs> I mean, well, it's, I, like they, yeah. it's like they grab you by the elbow gently and just help you leave the party and take you up on a bluff overlooking the party. And they go, you realize this is a game. They give you a different view, right? Yeah, right. Of, of the game you you're, see you're the playing. You see the game that right, right, right. Now, you can go back in the game. It's no problem. No judgment on the game. But you see it. You see how it works. Is this the game you, you want to be playing? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, it's almost like the yogi is always winking. Right. And ha- the yogi or the guru or the saint or the mystic always has... Uh, there always is an element of mischief and disruption because they're like, you're in a thing, a system, a schema. Um, and we're, I mean, we're, we're here on this planet, so we're already in these, but hey, you realize you can be in it, but not of it. You realize you can play a different game if you want. There's other choices Absolutely. besides the ones being presented yeah, to you. Yeah. Yeah. And that's actually a huge, I mean, you've helped me with that over the years, but there is this incredibly subtle energetic shift between disempowerment and empowerment. And I have met an extraordinary number, extraordinary number of people, sometimes very educated, very sophisticated, uh, very successful, but you're listening and you, you can hear ever so subtly in between the words is, well, this is just how it is. Right. And that is actually disempowerment. And disempowerment is like a cousin with despair, which is the spiritual disease of believing that tomorrow will just be a repeat of today. So the breaking through of the barrier generally begins at the most intimate places in the heart where, where something goes, oh, that, that's like, a, like an assumption. I, don't ha- I can just challenge that. Right. It could be different. It, uh, I have power here. Right. And now everything, now, you're, now something's, this is different. And, and is the idea then, I mean, your last tour was all about Joy. Yeah, yeah. Right? And you have a new film coming out? <laughs> yes. What's, it, what's the title the same as that? It's called The Introduction to, and Introduction to Joy. An Introduction yeah. to Joy. I was just... known to work on something when it's a completely, like last year's tour. It's like, I'm going to go around the world and talk about joy. That's such an absurd premise. I always know, I always follow the absurdity. Right. It's well, so ridiculous. It's, I mean, we were just watching the... the um, the first, the f- oh yeah, some of the first footage. Some of the first footage, but it looks fantastic. Um, very engaging, and the 
I mean, just to kind of, and I apologize for maybe oversimplifying, but I think it, it seems like the basic premise of this is that part of what you're doing, you know, when people come to your workshops, when people come to hear you speak, they read your books, they see your videos. Um, a lot of what people are ultimately figuring out is, wait a minute, this deep sense of existential despair of, mm. of, of, you know, whatever that, that morose feeling is, I don't have to live that way anymore. I can rediscover joy in my own life and you're helping them find yeah. a path to do that. Is that, do you feel like that's part of what leads oh, people to that? Or absolutely. Absolutely. But it will not come from avoidance, denial, or the repression of anger, doubt, fear, rage, absence, pain, right. Uh, despair. It, it, the suffering of life, you go into the heart of it. Uh, we're on this floating ball of space, ball of rock hurling through space at 67,000 miles an hour. I mean, this, this whole setup here, if I described it to you, you wouldn't yeah, let's believe Let's back it. that up. We're, we're, <laughs> just to put, in, put, put things in perspective again, we're not sitting here doing, we're not sitting in place. We're flying through space right now. We're on a big rock, planet Earth, that's right. literally going 67,000 right. miles yeah, an hour. Yeah, Milky Way galaxy is going somewhere around uh, 500,000 miles an hour. Away from... <laughs> and the, all the galaxies are moving away from all the other galaxies, we right. don't know. Expanding. Where are they going into what? Um that's the beautiful thing about science is science is in on the joke. Good scientists tell you all the facts. The good scientist tells you all the facts and then goes, I know. It's crazy. <laughs> right? It's crazy. Absolutely crazy. Yeah, yeah. The ones who are really doing their job, they take you through all the truth and the facts and the research and data, and then at the other end, they're smiling. Right. Like, what? Because that was it last uh, summer, New York Times published the first photo ever of a black hole. Amazing. Like, yeah. <laughs> are you serious? Well, oh, awesome. And, and this is something you talk about a lot that, you know, if you, once you get into, for example, entanglement or quantum theory mm-hmm. or, or string theory, Absolutely. a lot of these, these kind of hard to understand um, yeah, and very mystical physical experiences that happen all the time that create the universe we experience, you almost start to realize that there's spirituality at the center of everything. Oh, my goodness. I mean, you think about quantum physicists over the past uh, 100, 115 years, beginning in maybe 1889, some of the first major discoveries that were like all of solid matter. So everybody listening to this podcast, driving in a car, doing dishes, working out, all the metal, wood, porcelain that you're surrounded by yeah, yeah is made up of ultimately atoms. And those atoms are made of subatomic particles. And those particles are swirling bits and pieces of energy that are coming and going from the atoms themselves. That appear most to be it, random. Yeah. Most of the atom is, an, is, is made of empty space. Right. Um, we, we now know that there are particles that come into existence and then disappear, and we don't know where they come from or where they go. Photons do that, yeah. We know that there are simultaneous duality, part of, the same particle that can be in two different places at the same time, so they don't even follow the rules of time. Right. Um, what, what we know about what makes up everything is that's actually ultimately relationships of energy. So solid, the idea of solid is actually an illusion. <laughs> this is just, this particular relationship happens to be more enduring, this whatever marble table we're talking on. So uh, the facts, you, you, don't, you can go straight into the facts and you get, okay, this whole thing is really weird. Right. And rela- relational energy is actually the core of the universe. Well, no wonder then we want to be with each other and we want to love and no wonder we're filled with wonder and awe about this place. Like we come by all this honestly. So do you think the universe is moving in a direction? Well, literally we know it's expanding. Um, 
The really interesting thing about the question is, for those of us who are educated in sort of modern systems, we were taught very much a, a linear worldview. Right. This thing is going somewhere. And so the question then becomes, especially whether there's political disruption or there's climate change, terror, uh, is it getting better or worse then becomes the question. Hmm. But for thousands of years, most human beings had a cyclical view of time, hmm. which is there are seasons, um, uh, spring, summer, winter, fall, and that things burst into being. They reach their zenith, their fruition, and then gradually they die, and there's like a winter. Right. And then uh, out of that winter, a new thing gets birthed. And this is true at a personal level. This is true at a political level. This is true at an economic level. Right. And that's how nature functions. Um, sure. And when you move to that place, then circling back to your what you originally talked about at the end of seasons, then is it getting better or worse gets replaced by what season are we in? Right. I mean, you, you talk yeah. about this in some of your other books, right? You talk about how, um, you know, in post-enlightenment, we think about history marked by dates and times. Ah, uh, yeah. But in historically, I mean, that's a fairly new phenomenon. Historically, people didn't think about history scientifically. They had more of a mythological approach uh, to it, yeah. right? And, and, and a narrative. Yeah, Big events. events. As opposed to, like, you think about your, the laptop and, yeah. on, your, on your laptop screen, you pull up the calendar, and it's these nice, even square boxes. Hmm. With like so, the future then is just an endless succession of square boxes. Right. For the ancients, it was oh, there was the battle of whatever. Right. Oh, there was when so and so was born. Or the reign oh, of when, whom? Yeah. Yeah, that city fell, or the floods. Like it was these events in space and time that defined us and told us how the world works. And they had a narrative. Yeah. Changed how I thought the world works, um, which I think is really, really crucial for recapturing elements of that now. For people who are like, have a deep malaise or restlessness, but don't know how to put their finger on it. I mean, I got the dream job. Why would I want to do anything else? Because you got it. <laughs> you did it. What do you want to do now? Well, there's no purpose. Like, what's ending? Exactly. What's right. the story? What's the purpose right, behind right, this? Right, right, right. And I think like we, a, there right. are good endings. Right, right. You may need to leave that because it's good. And for right. many people, an ending... You all things only end because they're bad, and so they're they're used to divorces, not graduations. Which is, <laughs> I got to leave this this phase, and I have not one bad thing to say about anybody. I just know that this chapter is over because winter ends, spring ends, not because anything's wrong, because that season's over. It's and it's obviously with more and more pavement, we're more and more cut off from nature, so more and more people a breathing air that's been fed through machines. So the cycles of nature become more and more distant. So you end up with like, well, I'm just here, I guess, forever. No. <laughs> just, well, can, let's wrap this thing up. Let's do something else if you want. Yeah, and I, th I think to your point, I mean, one, I, <laughs> I wanted to get back to this graduation without, without divorce, which I think I used that phrase in a post when I was I left, uh, you know, this long path I'd had with ah, all my yeah. friends at Amway. Yeah. Um, and I didn't leave it because I don't like them. I think they're wonderful people and they have a great trajectory. It just, I strategically wasn't, a, you know, really a part of that anymore. And what, um, and, and I choose to live deliberately. And so, 
you know, if I'm a placeholder, it's probably the wrong place for me. Yeah. Um, that's not you. Let's that's, be honest. That's, let's be honest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dave, Dave. Is, Dave is a placeholder. It's not good for anybody. Right? <laughs> but, Dave, just stay well, in line, Dave. Quietly sitting here just blowing things up. Dave, yeah. Dave follows the rules, everybody. He's employee of the month. Yeah. <laughs> because, no, but I think the graduation without divorce is important. And I'd love, um, as a, maybe as a little transition, I wanted to hear a couple of these ideas out in the maybe talk about your history a little bit, but the, um, you know, you talk about graduation without divorce. I stole, I stole that line from you. I think in, uh, in this post this week, I didn't quote you mm. apologies. Oh, I mean, I, I probably heard from somebody. So we're <laughs> but the, uh, you talk a lot. One of the things that, um, you did at your two days for a while, which you did the uh, spiral dynamics, Oh, you yeah, walk yeah, through yeah. Progr- human progression. Mm, and I mm-hmm. think in the context of graduation without divorce, it's kind of interesting to think about how people hopefully progress through life mm-hmm. um, without looking back and hating where they came from. Uh, yeah, yeah. Recognizing, respecting that. Can you, you want to, would you mind giving us the, is there a quick and dirty version well, of that? Well, is there a way to do it without drawing it out? It would yeah. be, for some people, for, for many people, growth is I am here, but I need to get to that place. I'm going to leave this place and go to that place. Right. A to B to C to D. Uh, and so I was at A, but then I got out of there and I got to B, and thank God I left A behind. Right. But uh, the, the much more integrated way to think about things is I was there and now I'm here and I brought there with me. Right. So... That helped shape me and form me. It's good and it's bad, helped shape me and form me. And I embrace all of my story. Right. And oftentimes what happens is people are at odds with their own story. They're embarrassed about the family they come from. They come from a small town and disparage it. Um, Instead of, I come from a small town and look where I am now. Um, so real health and healing comes when you own every square inch of your story. So I think that's, that's why LeBron James always says he's from Akron. That's awesome. Yeah. And you, you see how he, over the years, continually returns from, hey, I'm just a basketball player from Akron, which is badass, but it's also at, at a spiritual level, very mature and integral I own every, I'm not trying to get away from where I come I'm from. I'm not avoiding that. I'm owning every square inch of it. So you think think about the person who got fired from somewhere or the thing went south on them or the thing, you'll never move into new spaces of freedom, joy, and satisfaction if you can't bring all of that. Yeah, that happened. Yeah. And it was, yeah, it was brutal. It was bloody. It was a nightmare, but it happened. And it's a part of who I am. And it, it's there. It's there in my story. Um, it's every square inch. This is something you and Alexander Shia were talking about. We were talking about in the water today um, about how joy isn't just about you know the power of positive thinking, about uh, just yeah, focusing no, on the good stuff and avoiding the bad. Very different from that in some ways. It's fully unified, integrated thinking. And yeah, yeah, so, yeah, for yeah, example, yeah. we were talking about somebody you know who was working through a little history and um, they discovered something in their past where... Uh, they realized somebody had been shaming them, probably not intentionally, ah, right, right, but, right, right. But, but had been, and they were carrying that around with them and weren't even aware of it. Yeah. And the second they identified it, um, they had to deal with it. How did they, you want to oh, yeah, walk yeah. us and, through and, that And, and actually, there, there are very, very straightforward patterns of trauma. We experience trauma, loss, heartache, pain, 
shame and it imprints on us usually at a pre-verbal place right. or a pre-rational place. That's not something we can articulate. Yeah. Uh, so this particular person gets under your skin and you don't know why. Or in particular situations, you default to this pattern of behavior that is not a pattern of behavior that brings you any sort of life or satisfaction. And so I don't know why I do that. It's probably because you went through some trauma and in response to whatever that was, you had to make your way in the world. You had to keep going. So we create some sort of narrative that we may not even be aware that we are living. Uh, so uh, uh, one that I see often is somebody will say, well, I failed. Well, what's interesting about I failed at that is, well, what story are you telling them about your life? Did, where did you get the assumption that you would nail your whole life right out of the gate? Or, I mean, the way that creativity works, if you want a 10-song album, you have to write 50 songs. You have to write 100 songs. I mean, the whole way that creation works um, is it takes a lot of swings to actually hit the ball. Right. So you can call it failure. You could also say, I was in the game, giving it everything I had. Mm. And I just kept trying and trying and trying and learning the whole way. So even something as simple as failure um, implies failure or success versus... Yeah, I just kept trying stuff because that's where the joy was. Right. And oftentimes these stories, the way that we frame it often shapes and determines what it even is. Hmm. Um, I've never been able to get it right. That's an interesting way to describe things. <laughs> right. How about it took me a while to find the thing I'm here to do? Exactly. Those are two different namings of maybe the same exact experience. But those two namings will take you into vastly different places. Well, everybody wants to find the thing they're supposed to yeah, do, right? Yeah. Maybe where their passion, their, yeah, their yeah. ability. and their, Sometimes that takes a while. Very normal, it might take a while. <laughs> Pretty hard so, to find for most people. And you have to figure out what not to do in order to find the things to do, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So how you're naming this experience, I'm exploring and I'm learning who I am and what I'm here to do, is fundamentally different from, I just can't get anything right. <laughs> and the that those I mean that shapes your neural pathways. Right. Um, so one of the interesting things for me is always to create space where we can listen for the ways that the person has named the thing, hmm. and I'll often just go, oh, oh, uh, why don't you say that again? Um, I I uh, I had a guy a couple months ago in a Q and A I was doing in Chicago. I was frustrated with some people who didn't like the new ideas he had. And he pulled out his phone and he goes, I mean, this weapon. Because mm. he had all these ideas for apps and new technology that he wanted to try. And, yeah. Uh, but he referred to his phone as a weapon. Wow. And I was like, the story that he was telling is about how he was at odds with these people in this business venture involving technology. But then he pulled out his phone. He's trying to figure out how to resolve that sticky thing. But then he pulls out his phone and calls it a weapon. Stop using your iPhone as a weapon, right? <laughs> so I was like, oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Uh, any other ways we could name? <laughs> You're right. How about a phone is neutral? It's just a thing. Right. It's just a piece of technology. Could be used for lots of different ways. Let's start there. Let's just take some of the... And actually, I said at the crowd at that moment, anybody pick up... Anything happened in your body when you heard that word and people in the audience, because they, they were like onto it. Like, ah, yeah, when you use the word weapon to describe your phone, hmm. that's no wonder you're having conflict. 
<laughs> well, exactly. I mean, so yeah. let's rename it. Let's rename it and see where it goes. I think that's that's smart. I mean, I think Bill McDonough, you know, the, the, oh, yeah. he talks about, you know, that design signals intent. Absolutely. And so the words Absolutely. that we use, you know, are design effectively, right? Absolutely. They're shaping us on the inside. And these interior shapings are endlessly then shaping where our lives head. Right. No, I think that's, you know, I, I deal with it in contracts. People deal yeah. with it in different parts of their yeah. life. But I always like to remind, you know, people internally I work with and people who we're dealing with that, you know, when you send something, a document, an email of a message, it says something about you, right? Yeah. Um, we were talking, I was talking with somebody recently about how to, how to manage trolls on social media. And I said, well, you know, what they say about you doesn't tell you anything about yourself. It just tells you about them. How yeah. you react to it tells you about yourself. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Right? Now we're finding out about things about you. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so I wanted to try and get some of that out first because I wanted to, to actually ask you, you know, have, go through some of your life story. I think getting the, the, some of these big ideas out first and then going back into the story, maybe people connect okay. the dots here. Because I think, yeah, yeah, is that okay? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, you and I met in college, is that right? Yes. At uh, Wheaton College. I arrived at Wheaton College and was instantly like, didn't you start a food fight? Probably. I remember, oh, there's this Good guy. Good odds. There's yeah. this guy, Dave Vanderveen, who started a food fight because they, mo- they were opening a new dining hall. Well, and the last day it. in the old one, there was like an epic food fight. I'm sure that's I was true. Like, there's some guy named Dave Vanderveen who was in the middle of the food fight. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to get to know that guy. <laughs> and you had a band in college. You had a band in college. <laughs> That, yeah. that had a very unusual name. It was called... Ton Bundle. Ton Bundle. Mm-hmm. You were the lead singer? Mm-hmm. Rockin' the Free World. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Big head of hair back then. Big head of hair. And uh, I remember seeing you guys play. Who was in that band? You, Ted, uh, uh, no, Theo. Theo oh, Burnett. Yeah, yeah, towards the end, Theo Bennett, but uh, or Dave Theo Bennett. Howe. Yeah, Dave, who's uh, playing the, who played the trombone? Steve Huber played guitar, but then at the end of our show, sometimes we would do a, the co- we would cover... Cool in the gang celebration, and one of the guitar players who, who was the head trombone player, the head boner at his high school was the official term. He would uh, wear striped pirate pants and he'd take off his shirt and play the trombone, and we would do celebration. And we had a drummer named Hog H A W G, Brian Erickson on bass. Oh yeah, it was a Classics. phenomenal cranking yeah. out the kids. I actually got a cassette of Ton Bundle from Mark Miller, oh, yeah, a mutual sure. friend of ours. Mm-hmm. Um, when I moved to Laguna, that was one of the highlight uh, gifts that he gave me. Absolutely, that cassette. You guys, you guys well. had a real, you got a real cassette that came out. <laughs> and climb the Collectible. But uh, I remember <laughs> one, of my, one of the highlights of being at Wheaton with you was, um, I think I was director of recreation, so I had to do these like spring and fall fests and things like that. And oh. uh, we did a battle of the bands in the quad. And Wheaton, Wasn't there coleslaw wrestling? There, there was. We had coleslaw wrestling. And bands. And bands. And it uh, turns out, by the way, 250 gallons of coleslaw will make people really itchy. Itchy in the sun. And then they'll jump into the fountain, and it will clog the fountain, and then you get a bill from the school. But the, uh, <laughs> the better part of that story <laughs> is Wheaton had some, some kind of some tight rules, a little conservative. <clears throat> One of them was you can't dance. And so you guys were going to come play, and I thought it'd be really fun to get people moving. Of course, not dancing. That's so funny because that band played and people danced all the time. Their asses off. So it's funny when, <laughs> I, like, 
I guess there was that. That rule just was so far from our experience. Well, no, one, no one was following the rule anymore. <laughs> oh my goodness! But we had we had aerobic we so had, had aerobic dance instructors on stage so that they could oh, they could so dance along to, to Ton Bundle. So much fun. Good times. And we had uh, we had what we had math. We had finite math together. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Paul Paul Sihara. <laughs> Rob and I were real mathematicians. We we stopped at finite. They just said we were too good. <laughs> But um, but we but we met at college and uh, you know I left a little early. You you can you continued on there and you I mean this is what struck me was you were kind of this uh, wild man having tons of fun. Um, we didn't follow in all the same circles, but mm-hmm. we you know at events and, so yeah we, we overlapped overlapping. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, how did you end up? Because you you went from what, what did you study by the way when you were at Wheaton? What was your your major? What I, I what didn't I study? Uh, psychology. Psychology was, was your major. An English minor. So how did you end up as a pastor yeah, at a church? Yeah, I know. Um, academics didn't work for me. That was that was always. I never. It always made me feel dumb. What was the part of academics but that was, didn't work? That there were these this target, this really narrow, narrow target that somebody had made up, mm. and you had to hit that. So. I would just find myself like all off, like, oh, couldn't you say it better? Or why that? Why not? I just, I just, the whole thing was just like, what? Um, my brain didn't work that way. But I had always had, God, how do I say it? A sense that there's more going on here. Mm. Some sense that this isn't all there is. There was always some, uh, mystic is sort of the historic word, some sense. And my parents would take us to church, but I always found it like, man, this, these are like the big question. What are we doing here? How does, can how does can this we work? do this better? Yeah. Um, it always felt like this should be the most interesting thing imaginable, but this thing that we're going to sit through isn't great. And especially, honestly, it was, I would hear the, those Jesus stories about something infinite hiding, lurking in the finite. Yeah. Um, there's something universal about this son coming home and his father greeting him. Um, this woman is ill and, and, and cannot be healed. There's something cosmic about that. Like, I felt it resonated with it. And every time there's uh, an in-group that pushes somebody to the edges and marginalizes them and creates an outcast, Jesus moves from the center to the edges to tell this person, you belong. Actually, people who think that they belong, they're the ones who might be in trouble. Um, he often tells those, in fact, oh, yeah. I think you said this in Love Wins, and then I looked it up and I confirmed it, but uh, <laughs> when, when Jesus talks about hell, he really is only addressing, is he primarily there, or only there's addressing? There's no, no real coherent articulation of what happens when you die. It's about the but, world we're creating right now, the but, states of heaven and hell right now, in your heart, your psyche, and the economy and the world, poverty, that's... Over and over again. And, and then when Jesus is asked questions, he generally responds with questions. Like, how do you read it? How right. do you interpret it? So the opposite of brainwashing. And, and it seemed like, too, he was, when he was talking about how when he, when he brought that topic up, it was generally for people who thought they were in the center of it, right? <laughs> yeah, it was, he's not even talking to religious people. Right. Um, so I just had some sense that, that we're all way more connected than we realize this whole thing is way more mysterious. And I lived in a closed, probably like you raised, it's a very closed system. Like right. there are facts. What is the answer on the quiz? Um, like a closed universe that may or may not have interventions of perhaps a divine origin from time to time, but a very flat, dead sort of world. Right. And 
I had had too many experiences with the land, with water, in the summer running around in the woods. It felt like uh, creation felt like it had a pulse or like there was something humming. Like today, you and I are in the water. Like that's something living and breathing, something with a heartbeat. So there's real energy to it. We yeah, yeah, waves, yeah. Right? So, yeah. And I realized now, even in the past couple of years, taking that apart, like, oh, I just had some sense that solid matter it's got something present. There's there's something in this whole thing. And people would use words now like, you know, spirituality or sense of source. But I, at a young age, I had that. And at the end of college when the band broke up and I had no plan B. <laughs> I had no idea I was going to do with my life. It like all of a sudden weirdly clicked. Like, oh, I could help. I could try to help people navigate the 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 big questions of life. Uh, of pain and suffering and loss and joy and what are we doing here and how's it all work? And I came out of that tradition, so that made sense to me. I'll, I'll try to go do that. But I also do distinctly remember thinking, like pastor church world that I'd seen, I can't do that. And I, I would never fit in that. So I distinctly remember walking near the dining hall at Wheaton down the sidewalk senior year and thinking, well, the only way to do this, I'll just have to do it how I would do it. So I might, I, no one may hire me. I may end up really like making a mess of things, but I would just have to pursue it how I would pursue it. I remember distinctly having that thought. And, I, and actually like, whatever, almost 30 years later, I, I kind of feel, still feel the same way. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's that sense room, is only stronger. There's still, still room for improvement, you know, room yeah, for change. Yeah, how would yeah. Rob Bell do it? <laughs> yeah. So you, you end up at Fuller, you went to Fuller so I, Seminary. So yeah, then it was like, well, I guess in the world I came from, well, then you got to go to seminary, graduate school. I was like, get out, more school. <laughs> but I was actually somewhat interested in this, so that's fine. So I went and did all that, like Greek and Hebrew and church history and systematic theology, which is like very linear, logical, it's what like the people said right? about yeah. the big questions. Um, and yeah, so I went and did that. And then I, but, but it, right somewhere in there, I was teaching water skiing at a camp and I volunteered to give the sermon. And that was the moment. That was the... When you actually had to perform and, and, and do it was the like all, Obviously all the lead singer stuff from the band <laughs> no, I don't was mean in there. Way, yeah. No, no, no. I mean, all that was in there. But there was something about... Oh, uh, and, and a sermon for me always raised the existential question, what's for lunch? You know what I mean? Like a sermon for me was always like, oh, please just get, just, I got a, I got a game after this service. Let's go. You know what I mean? But, but suddenly I saw the sermon and it happened very quickly. I saw the sermon as an art form, right? Like Martin Luther King. I have a dream. That's a sermon. That's badass. That's countercultural. That's political, personal, beautiful, rhetorical. That's rage against the machine. That's, um, I saw it as an art form, and I was like, oh, I want to reclaim this. It's like beautiful, inspiring. Not like for religious people or people over at a church service, but for like all of us. Like what if, the, what if hearing like helpful, inspiring, illuminating words about yourself, your soul, history, politics, like what, what if that was like out there in a new way? So that really was the thing. That was the thing that was like, okay, I'm going to do this with my life. And, and what's that process? I mean, it seems like, uh, you know, obviously, I remember I used to get your tapes when you were at Mars Hill because I, <laughs> I, I loved listening to them when I was driving. <laughs> oh, and, yeah, and, cassettes. And, and I'm not like a, you know, real churchy guy typically, but the, um, 
I, I figure I did plenty of it growing up, and yeah, you know, right, right. Kind of covered. So you had a certain amount of chips, and hey, I spent them. <laughs> Blew them at the table yeah, already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm good. But the um, you know the thing that I noticed about, and I think a lot of people have said this is not new information, was that when you would do your sermons at Mars. Well, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but when you would do your sermons. You were taking these stories we had all heard a thousand uh, times, yeah, yeah, yeah. and bringing them to life, yeah, and bringing them to life through really digging into them and bringing right. the, the actual, yeah. original text to life—the Hebrew, the Greek. Yeah, yeah. And people um, didn't know how many of these stories are. There's paradox and innuendo. Innuendo. A lot of them have like all these interesting sexual undertones. There, everything Jesus is doing at some level is political because. He's under the boot. The boot of the Roman Empire is on his people's neck. So, and you have Herod on top of that, and the Pharisees it, on yeah, top of that. Literally, yeah, literally, they're like, well, the Book of Luke. These people come to Jesus, and they're like, Herod Antipas wants to kill you. Right. I mean, this is like terrifying insurrection. He's crucified as an enemy of the state. That's like Guantanamo Bay orange jumpsuit. Right. Like this isn't like nice thoughts about how to organize your heart, or right. even like you think about people have heard, you know, the feeding of the five thousand. Why are 5,000 people out in the wilderness following an itinerant, insurgent Jewish rabbi? Because they're hungry. Why? Because they don't have food. Why? Because some people believe in the Galilee. Taxation rates were around 90%. This is why Mary and Joseph, that story, this is Jewish teenagers. She's pregnant. Have to go back to Bethlehem because there's a census because Caesar needs to know how many people so he can tax them so he can conquer more lands. Like, this is a global military superpower. Wow. I mean, these stories, um, you don't have to go far. David and Goliath is about technology. The Philistines have a new kind of metal that the Israelites don't. If your neighbor has a weapon and you don't have that technology, it's what we're seeing right now with uh, nuclear capabilities. So the David and Goliath story is... We're, our neighbor has. That's why David Goliath is so terrifying. Well, and that's like a political, technological story. That's history, right? Every Absolutely. every major historical change is stirred up, longbow, whatever you know. So, like warm, fuzzy stories about, hey, the underdog can win. No, this is the the unmitigated terror of your neighbor has new technology and weaponry you don't. Right. So, trusting that you're going to be okay. That's going to take a little work. <laughs> you know what I mean? So just notice that, that these stories have these edges and these undercurrents and... And deep, <sighs> deep connections to where we sit today oh. and the fear and the yeah. love right, and the, right, right. Very, you know, the, yeah. the wide variety of emotions that make us human. Absolutely. So how did you get to... I remember, I don't want to jump ahead too much, but you, from Fuller, what did you do? What, what did you do next? Did you start your church right uh, on Fuller? Well, I had... I had there, my parents had moved to Grand Rapids, Michigan, and I had visited them like on like you do when you live in another state. I was living in California. At, I don't know Christmas. I go visit them, and they were were like, "Hey, there's this guy named Ed Dobson who speaks at this church. He's pretty great." So I remember going to hear, and I was like, "Oh, okay, I'll go hear that." And I was like, "Whoa!" Because this guy Ed Dobson was the pastor of this church in Grand Rapids, Michigan could like was like a master communicator. Did you ever hear him? Uh, yeah, and it was yeah. well, that was the first Calvary, right? It was one of the first Oh wow, yeah. So you remember that, that was, yeah. right? Yeah. But this guy, whoever uh, um whatever background you come from, you'd just be like just like a really, really, really compelling human being. Right. Just brilliant and funny. He had a PhD, I think, in educational theory or something. Just a a really, really, really fascinating, extraordinary man. And I heard him and I hadn't ever heard somebody on that scene. There's like thousands of people listening to him talk 
like intelligently, but then really like excessively, how do you forgive somebody who's wronged you? Right. How do you overcome your fears? Right. Um, what does resurrection look like in your life when it feels like things are dead? I mean, so I, like I saw somebody do, it was like, Oh, that's, that's the closest I'd seen to sort of what I had in my head. I mean, he really like gave me like, well, where could this, if he could take it there, where could I, where else could it be taken? And so I, so I, my plan when I graduated was just to beg him, can I, can I take out your trash? I just want to follow you around. And we became friends and he offered me a job. He's like, you want to follow me around? And I'll just kind of show you how I do what I do. And you, you ultimately, when you were doing their Saturday night service? Yeah, or, so yeah. I came to work with him and I was like, a, I think a, an assistant or an intern uh, $25,000 a year. Wow. What did you do with all that? Six days a week. Yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> two, uh, two weeks of vacation a year. Good for it's like you. 10 days off a year. Otherwise, uh, and I remember that I went to the front desk and I said, if, uh, can you, they started sending me calls and my phone would ring it all the time in this little office they gave me. And I realized they were sending me all the calls of people who just cold called. I need a pastor. Oh, wow. So I started, so I was like, Hey, keep those coming. Um, when I realized what was happening, uh, so I would be like, Hey, maximum security prison. Someone needs to be visited. Uh, these people, their kid committed suicide and he's on life support and they're about to pull the plug and need somebody there for them. So I did, I remember doing a wedding for someone who had died of AIDS, which was like, people were not talking about there doing that. It's like mid nineties. Wait, wait, you did a, oh, uh, or a funeral? This guy, yeah. Funeral. what I say? Wedding. Uh, did one of those two. But, um, <laughs> So I was doing funerals, weddings. Um, I did a wedding in prison. Like and this is in the I early nineties, right? Yeah, I would just go anywhere. Yeah, I would just go anywhere, and lots of like people calling, like right before they would kill themselves, they'd call a church just to see if somebody could give them something interesting that might. So you're like talking people on the phone. So you're putting yeah. in all the hours. Oh man, seeing oh, all man. the different I saw range everything. of reactions. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then also like doing teachings, talks, like. How do you talk to people about this experience we're having and and give hope and, and yeah yeah and so Saturday, Saturday nights you were attracting I mean Grand Rapids has a lot of churches yeah yeah so and they, yeah, Calvary they doing, got huge yeah and then which, they started this I remember they had like this Saturday night thing and at that time church or spirituality or God or whatever that existed very culturally that existed like those are like church people in big buildings but they had like a Saturday night. You know, come in your jeans. We had uh, all kinds of recovery meetings afterwards. That was like, in those days, that was like super groundbreaking. Oh, at the end of those talks, also at the end of the service, we would take questions. Anybody could write down any question they had and send it in. And it was like, oh man, people just, so I just cut my teeth on your 25, like imagine you're in public. I remember you telling a story about... It was, was like it a, 800 people. It was like yeah. picture... I mean, people, like it's like a thousand people were coming to some of those Saturday night things. Picture a thousand people. You're 25, you're 26, and you give this your talk. You're just trying to figure this out. You know what I mean? You're just trying to like figure out who you are and what you're doing. And then you finish and then the, they pass in these sheets of paper to the aisles and these ushers collect them and hand you the stack of paper and you have no idea what people are going to, and people are asking, like my husband committed suicide last week. What do you have to say to me? I mean, it was, Oh, how do you, how do you respond to that? I mean, I, I know, I, oh. I do know, but how, how did you respond to that? What'd you do with that? 
Um, you just you you're a student, so the the when people talk about you know with success, how do you stay humble? Uh, <laughs> to me, the thing had a built-in <laughs> humbling kill switch from the get-go. <laughs> right. You're not going through that stack of questions as a 26-year-old and walking off stage like, I crushed that. You know what I mean? Sure. You're, um, you're repeating things you've heard other people say, which is sometimes what you have to, you know, you, don't, you haven't had enough life experience. Um, uh, I've been divorced five times. Do you think I could ever love again? <laughs> like, well, you know, in my experience of such things, I mean, I distinctly remember <laughs> you just sort of, Throw yourself at the mercy of, I'm here trying to help, uh, and I got a lot of passion, and I'm going to do everything I can to help you. I mean, you just sort of, it's, that's how I remember it, is yeah. just, uh, like, it's so exciting. And I think at some level, I was so happy. I'd always been so restless. School never really worked. There were always better athletes. There were always more cool kids. There were always more popular but like this was something I could like give myself to, and so it was just that was what it was. It was just so oh you, my word. So you kind of cut your teeth there, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. Started figuring out. Mm-hmm. Remember you telling me, you know, one of the things I think you said was difficult was figuring out who's in the audience and how to communicate to a wide range of characters. Right, right. Because people are all across the spectrum, so you're meeting all these people, constantly meeting people, and going, well, how would you? how would you talk to that person? And then the next person, you're like, whoa, those people were sitting in the same row. Like, <laughs> how would you talk to that person? So, so, and somebody that who person, wants to know that it's from the Bible, somebody who doesn't want to hear about the Bible, oh, somebody who's, man, yeah. Oh man, right. oh man, oh man, oh man, oh man. Yeah, so it's like yeah, a paradox yeah, yeah. of humanity. And over the years, more and more seeing that people are all these different places. Right. And so how, what are the universal truths of what it means to be human that cut across everything? How can you get to the thing that is true for everybody. Um, and that, like, that's the, yeah, that's the juice. That's the, that's the art of it. So at what point, I mean, talk about like, so you're on this, you know, it's in terms of pastors and career paths, <laughs> which just sounds kind of funny. A career is never, I always laugh at the word career. It never felt like a career. But if you think about like a pastor career, you are on a, you were at, I think the biggest church in Grand Rapids at the time. <laughs> that thing was a scene. And you were the, hot young pastor who was right. I mean, you were the guy who was getting a lot of attention and, and attraction. Why, what, what led you or how did it work? What, what, if you're having so much success at this big successful church, why did you want to shift gears and, and open your own church? Or am I saying because that wrong? I'm asking I, the question, uh, right? Our next door neighbors, like that church had like a hundred person orchestra, a hundred person choir. It, it, it was, that, it, was it was a machine. It was, it was amazing. But I remember thinking, I there's a whole world here of language and customs and protocol and dress codes. Right. I can barely do this. Right. Uh, but my neighbors, it's like a cross-cultural experience. Like, and I, uh, there's got to be some way. It was very punk rock because there's got to be some way to strip away all. I don't know if think you need all, any of this. And did you? I think f- I. Uh, so it was a, it was like an art experiment. There's got to be some way to do this to to pull away so much of the superfluous stuff that's in the way 
there's got to be some like cleaner, more direct uh, way to do this. So that it, would talk to a whole nother world, like the world that I live in. My reference points were like talking heads, violent fans. Right. Um, there's got to be some other way to go about this. Is it fair? I mean, this may be a little cliche, but was it fair to say that you kind of, when you came into Calvary, I mean, you were learning the rules from a guy who yeah. knew how to organize yeah, 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 it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to learn the rules to break them. Exactly. So yeah, you started breaking them, started deconstructing very it to much. get to the essence of, yeah, yeah, of yeah. the thing you itself. You have to see how it's done. You have to do your, like mail room. You have to do your, you have to get a lay of the land and see how it's done. Otherwise you'll go and just think you're doing all sorts of new stuff and people will be like, yeah, it's been tried like a thousand times. So I, I'm very grateful for that. I saw how something like that works and yeah, I have nothing but gratitude. And then, then you got to graduate. And then it was like, we got to try something. And Kristen, my wife has always been a step ahead. And we were like, well, I don't know how we'll get money. I don't know how we'll get insurance. I don't know how we'll do it, but we got to try something. And this guy had a warehouse building that had his big broom. And he's like, I'll let, I'll rent you my building for a dollar a year. We're like, well, let's just try it and see what happens. I mean, it was really like, that was like October, November of 1999, 1998. By like February, I had left and we had started this new church. It was just How did that happen? So, how did, so, so I remember sitting down we with literally you. Literally order chairs, find a building, uh, rent, I think, a sound system. I mean, it was, it was so like do-it-yourself. And just let people know people you were, were you're open on, on Sunday. I mean, or at the beginning, people were sitting on the floor. So you'd literally like, if you'd like to have a chair, then we're going to take an offering. <laughs> I mean, it was so, and people loved it. God, it was awesome. It sort of exploded, right? I mean, how? Yeah, no, it was very surreal. When did you, when, when did doors surreal. open at Mars Hill? Oh, she's like feeling like another lifetime. Like, February of 99. Because we came, I remember we came. Yeah, six, you and your six, dad, I remember that. I remember well, being like, Dave Vanderveen is here. How great is this? <laughs> My dad got me to come because he was like, you won't believe what, what's happening <laughs> at Mars Hill. That guy from Coleslaw Wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> but then like a year later, a year or two later, Sarah and I, we, were, we had gone platinum as Amway distributors. And I think it must have been 2000. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I was like, hey, let's, let's grab dinner. You know, we're in town, yeah, yeah, let's grab dinner. Yeah, I remember that. And I was, I was just, I was really curious. Yeah. Because I think you had maybe 10,000 people coming to Sundays. Oh, or? well, within a, yeah, within a couple of years. Yeah. No, it went, I mean, you know, it went like 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, 4,000, 5,000, 6,000. It went like 10 staff, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60. I remember there was like. 10,000 people, 80 staff. I remember, I remember them telling me that it was taking 900 volunteers to run the children's ministry. It just went like really, 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 really fast. And, uh, and the, the, I mean, I remember part of the reason I just wanted to sit down and talk to you is I was like, <laughs> my question was, how did you do it? And if I remember correctly, <laughs> I did it. Well, no, that's exactly what you said. And that was my favorite part of the answer. <laughs> oh, really? Um, is you said, oh, I like hearing quotes of myself earlier. Well, that I, I mean, like. I'm, I'm, this is, you know, <laughs> yeah. 20 years later recall, but so it may not be completely accurate, but what I remember is you saying, you know, I didn't, I don't, I didn't do it. I feel like I'm sitting on the sidelines and this is just happening. Yeah, no, there was a, it was very strong. And that's probably also maybe some sort of defense mechanism at the time. Like you can own it, but you have to also not own it. Right. You're doing these very intentional things. Of, of course. Yeah. It wasn't, um, but, yeah. but it, it's so many landmines to own the very particular... Well, you know, we're, we're doing these very specific things. 
you know, that guy, get yeah. that, get, get that prick out of my face. You know what I mean? <laughs> right, like, right, 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 right. Um, you're, 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 you're completely attuned to the fact that this thing that is happening is so much bigger than your clever ideas. Right. Uh, this it, it's like a phenomenon. It's like a epiphenomenon. It's a whole. It's two plus two equals ninety. I mean, there's like these parts have come together and made something that has these qualities that aren't present at the earlier. Yeah, you know, parts. I, it's it's really. And I think oof, in a in a heavily churched oof, city, yeah. there was mm-hmm. a lot of people who are like, "Hey, th- yeah. all of a sudden this makes sense. Now I know why we we're supposed to be doing this." And here's somebody yeah, that's doing yeah, it that's authentically, right? There's like a fresh air. And I would say things like. People go to church because you're supposed to. That is like the dumbest idea. That's the kind of thing I do. That's like the dumbest idea ever. Why would you spend time doing something in your free time? What? You do something because, like, you want to. Right. And, I, and I, that all goes back to the band. Like, you go to see a band because uh, you want to be there. You want to be caught up in something. Right. So at, at some level, there was a reframing around... Who doesn't want to talk about the big mysteries of life? Right. Who doesn't want help? Everybody has somebody who wronged them and they're carrying that thing. Who doesn't want to learn how to forgive so that you can be free? Who doesn't want to be free? Sure. Who doesn't want to understand their connection with the world around them a little better? Um, so I think there's a lot of reframing that people just... God, it was so electric because... Um, I'm going to quote you again. <laughs> you had said, uh, we don't, what do you say? To me? And I'm just quoting you out of my memory. I'm not sure if this is entirely accurate, but what I remember you saying was, uh, you know, we don't do bring a friend Sunday. <laughs> you said, if we're not, you know, transforming, supporting, encouraging, enhancing your life, and I'm making some of this up, but basically you were saying, if we're not transforming your life enough that when you walk out of here, you can't <laughs> not talk about this, then you shouldn't yeah, come, yeah. right? Yeah, Is that, there was all this am I paraphrasing stuff, that right? Yeah. There was all this stuff that just seems so obvious. And you're just young and whatever the word is to just say it. I would just say it all. Like, yeah, so, a lot, so I think for a lot of people, standard church, to, like that's a funny one, bring Sunday to church. Isn't every, isn't every Sunday, isn't every week you share th- things that you love with people? You talk about things if, you love? If you hear a like, band that's <laughs> blowing your mind, you can't you stop talking friends. about it, yeah, right? Yeah, you buy them the record. and yeah. um, So I think there were lots of things like that, that at that time in that place, I remember we stopped taking an offering. We just put metal, there was a welder. I just asked him to make metal boxes and put them in the back. <laughs> Where like God doesn't want your money. God doesn't need your money. There's no like somebody like there's no checklist of no, somebody no like shakedown. hey yeah. you're being cheap. <laughs> yeah. No no no. You give money to things because you believe and you want to be a part of something bigger than yourself. Like you think it's good that people who are hungry get fed. You think it's like maybe so, you believe the universe is generous. And, so then yeah. so then so literally I we stopped taking an offering. Of course the offerings went up. <laughs> so it was like like a grand art experiment. I remember saying, so from now on, if I they're not offering boxes, they're joy boxes. And if you're not giving because you're like, how great is it that we can like help people around the world and we can create a space where we can all grow and learn together, then just don't give. Like right. what are you thinking? And I would say like at the end of the service, oh by the way, there are joy boxes at the back of the room. And the place would like erupt. That's so, good. so this is all 
At that time in that place, it was all like, whoa. I mean, people were, there were traffic jams and people would just pull over by the side of the road and just walk through the mud. I mean, <laughs> to get there, it was just, that's what it was like. Well, we, you know. At, 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 <laughs> it's so funny to talk about now because it's so long ago, but this is pre-2009-11, you know what I mean? This is like, but yeah, it was really, and, and it was like a movie, it was a thing. I mean, you you were at the center of a community that you helped found and, yeah. and was created yeah, yeah, around yeah. you. And I think, you know, the story goes, you were, you were a person helping that community progress. You were disrupting it. You were helping people move forward. Uh, yeah. is, is that fair? Yeah, I mean, and, you and did the NUMA series. At a personal level, I was, we were growing. Kristen and I, it was a deeply personal, we were just following it where it leads. Right. So, so an example would be, I remember realizing, oh, the Bible's written by a minority group of people. And these Jewish writers, they, these people, this tribe, they have been conquered by one global military superpower after another. So Egyptians, Assyrians, Babylonians, Persians, Romans. So this is a book written by a small group of people. And this book is a profound critique hmm. of the weaponry of empire. So this book is highly, highly suspicious of people who move around the earth conquering the weak in their path. Right. So like in the Psalms when it says, some trust in chariots. Um, chariot was the F-14. It was the right. drone strike of its day. Right. So when you read this book, as an American citizen of the most powerful military superpower the world has ever seen, this is a book of profound critique of military superpowers. So you might miss some of its central themes. <laughs> so then what you're going to do with this, because this book is critiquing your weaponry right. and your accumulation of this wealth. So you're either going to then need to sort of neuter it, chop its balls off and make it like nice spiritual lessons. You know, well, either we assume it's universal truths or we don't. Right. right. Yeah. So you're either going to have to tell these stories about, well, Jesus was just spiritual. He wasn't political. He just wanted to get to your heart. Or you're going to have to make this book, like the book of Revelation, you're going to have to make it about what happens when you die some other time, some other place. So it doesn't have to hurt you here. Otherwise, you're going to have to talk about how we've arranged the world and a widening gap between rich and poor. And, and, and like second example would be, I remember stumbling early 2000s into the realization that from the opening poem of the Bible in Genesis, the assumption of the biblical writers is that a proper sustainable relationship with the earth is central to being human. Hmm. And if you don't live in a sustainable, non-exploitive way with the soil, your whole society will fall apart. There's very specific so, yes. prescriptions then, for letting the soil turn over, right, for right, not right. planting so this is seasons. Not, I, I remember this distinctly. So I'm probably 30, 31. Oh, my God. The environment is not a progressive cause. It's not a democratic platform. It's, it's in the first book of the obvious, Bible. obvious, yeah. duh, assumption in the scriptures right. that if you are not living in a sustainable way. So these are the kinds of insights where, well, then I got to say something about that. And you got to follow where that leads. And so that's where your, your question really, it had like this deep, deep, just kept following it 
where it leads. Well, it, I, I mean, if, if I'm hearing you correctly, mm-hmm. I mean, it, you made these tough decisions to get into, for example, a new ch- to create a new church or, or you know launch a new church um, because you were on a deeply authentic and 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 personal path that was all about seeking truth. Yeah, is, is yeah, that, yeah, is that fair? yeah, yeah, yeah. And and honestly, things like would it be successful or a career? How's this for or, or money? Honestly, money or will everybody understand it? They those simply weren't. I just thought those weren't like things. Or it was like or I a, assume worrying if you upset people. I mean, some I mean, was, some things were going to be upsetting, right? Yeah, yeah. And as people, as I had, as there began to be like a constant sort of refrigerator buzz of critics. So it's like that was painful, but it was also learning. Oh, well, how else did it work? Like I remember thinking, like they crucified Jesus. So if you're still here, well done. <laughs> I mean, just this, oh, this story has edges. Like if you talk about these things, right. you are, and then, and then of course that took me into, we generally only grow through disruptions. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure your listeners name the three or four or five significant moments that most shaped who you are, that most created your character and your spinal fortitude and altered the trajectory of your life. I'm, I'm assuming your listeners would list like somebody I love died. I got my, somebody I love got cancer. I got fired, whatever. I mean, we, we list. Bankrupt. Yeah. 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 We, that's the stuff. Nobody's like, well, I got a pickup truck. You know what I mean? Nobody no, no, lists. We, no, we, we talk about this a lot. I mean, almost uh, everybody I interview will say, I, I like to ask the question, do you learn more from your successes or your right, failures? Right, right, right. And everybody says the failures. Right. I mean, you can almost, it's nice to get rewarded and recognized. It's nice to graduate high school yeah, or sure, college. Sure. But that's not what you remember. Right. You're, you remember like right. struggling. You remember right. like staying right, up right. all night. You remember right. getting an F on a test and right. having to fix it. I mean, it's those yeah. sorts of things that yeah, shape yeah, you. Yeah. I totally agree with that. So all those things were sort of, I remember, uh, so I'm leading this massive, like, it, this giant religious movement institution, but realizing, oh, if you follow this and stay true, because here's what happened. I would get together with some other pastor and the pastor would say at some point, hey, have you read such and such book? And, I, and I'd be, oh, I don't, I don't know. Uh, yeah, no. And they say, this book is blowing me away. It's like so helping me right now. It's like answering all these questions I've had. And then the pastor would pause and he or she would say, but if I told my congregation, they'd probably fire me that I'm reading this book. Right. And I began to see, oh, there is, there is their own true self and the path they're on. Right. And then there is this Sunday game face institution that they get a check from that demands Certain slogans, doctrines, doctrines be repeated. Right. And I, I distinctly remember in my early 30s seeing those same factors in the thing that I had started. I had started this thing to just explore, but it, it instantly had its own Momentum. things you can say, things yeah. you can't say. And because it didn't have any, people just brought them. <laughs> um, and I distinctly remember, and Kristen and I would talk about this frequently. Oh, I can't do that. I can't live split. I'm going to have to follow this wherever it goes and talk about it. That's what I'm here to do. Right. I'm here to grow in public. Right. And I might end up being 
fired, the the tribe may boot me. Like this, Kristen and I had a running joke that I would go sell shoes because <laughs> of this this final scene, the final scene in Spinal Tap, where right. he's like, "Are you 11? <laughs> um, so uh, I uh, so that was a key moment of realizing. Are you willing to follow? The only option was just to follow it where it leads. And so, so you weren't doing it for the church itself. You were doing it to follow your path. It was some real. I feel like that protected me. It was some very intimate. I mean, like we were talking about this next chapter for you. At some level, it was like a deep. There's like shareholders and stock prices and like that yeah. expansion of uh, global business. But there's also Dave Vanderveen going. I got some stuff I gotta, I gotta do. Yeah, I gotta see where I can take this. Right. You know what I mean? There's like a. It's also deeply personal and intimate, and this is where the life is for me right now. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think, you know, not to get in my own story too much, but you know, the I, I think we have a similarity there where, um, I, I do tend to pray and ask for. Yeah. You know, I look for yeah. the organic doors to open and right. the wrong ones to close. Right, right, right. And even though the ones that close might not be the way that I had hoped or thought it would go, um, when they close, that's okay. And, you know, I, I'm always, I'm a huge fan of, of knocking and exploring and discovering and, to your point, not being afraid to take some risks and, yeah, right, and try right. other paths if some paths yeah, aren't working. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And and to be open, to, you know, it, I think, you know, I used to get angry or frustrated, and I still do a little bit, but I think I'm more aware of it now, and I can catch it and see it and identify it and then say, wait a minute, mm. why am I angry? Why am I frustrated? <laughs> what's what's yeah, this all yeah. about? Yeah. You know, maybe maybe this, you know, I'm not the right fit in this uh, in this place right now, and that's okay. Um, and that's why, that's why I love that graduation without divorce. You know, when I was working at, I was at this uh uh, I'd end up at a large technology company called Computer Associates in the late 90s through a couple acquisitions. And the guy who was the senior vice president had also come in through an acquisition. So there's a lot of new people there and you're trying mm-hmm. to assimilate them. And he had this great talk. So it's just when the dot-com thing was happening. And he said, look, he said, you know, some of you have had a career here for a long time and this is probably where you'll finish your career. Some of you, you know, may choose to go other places. And he said, I'm just, we just want you to be successful, whether it's here yeah, or whether yeah, it's yeah. someplace else, yeah, yeah. because your work is about wealth, not wages. And your, your work is about your own success story. And I've always carried that with me um, because I think sometimes it's too easy to get personally identified with the place you are, the organization you're in, rather oh, than right, 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 recognizing right. the path you right, need to right, be right, on. Right, right. So true. So how, um, <laughs> where are we going next? Yeah. Well, well so, you know, you, you wrote some books that were very popular and also I think surprised some people in the more conservative end of the Christian community, Velvet Elvis. Um, sorry, I don't have them all in front of me, but sex, God, sex, God. Well, that probably <laughs> threw some people what sex and God in the same uh, title. And then obviously love wins became, you know, one of your most famous books. And, mm, yeah, and 2011. 2011. And you, I think you asked some really good questions about the stories we tell about God, the mm-hmm. stories that are actually in the Bible versus the ones we tell, <laughs> and yeah. what some of the words mean that we throw around or think yeah. we have defined when you, if you actually read the text, like what's actually in the text. Yeah. Um, what, what, I mean, if you don't mind just kind of cutting to love wins, what, what happened there? What do you think happened there? Well, 
by the time I'd written the book, it all seemed quite obvious. But, uh, you know, our friend Pete Rollins talks about how sometimes tribes of people all agree that nobody believes it, but everybody agrees not to talk about it. Right. At some level, you... I mean, when people use the word God, what they're talking about is ultimate reality. What is the nature of that, of what you can conceive of nothing greater? Right. So when people say, well, I don't believe in God, or I don't have a God, or that discussion, I'm like, yeah, you do. Of course you do. You have some sense, or, or maybe better, God, in some ways, the definition of God is a question. What kind of universe are we living in? Right. And when you move it from the idea of God to simply, what is the nature of the universe we're living in? There is like, even people, essentially when people try to prove the existence of God, you've already (laughs) denied, you've already made a mess of things. Right. Um, Because God is simply the name for the question we're asking about what kind of place is this? And for a number of people, hardwired into Western culture was the universe is not a safe place. Billions of people are going to be tortured forever. Um, That's incredibly damaging to the psyche. Uh, And in many ways, it's just the shadow projected into the far reaches of the universe. But if you point that out, um, that system, I mean, that's where a lot of wars come from. Sure. That's where a lot of revenge comes from. A lot of dark things come from. If the ultimate reality of the universe is vengeful and infinitely cruel first off then you can excuse all sorts of behavior that's actually devastating and so to point that out or systems that thrive on that well you're you're going right to the core of whole worlds that are constructed around that well not a minimum and that some of the more conservative yeah. churches is how they fill pews i mean yeah, you're, you're yeah, filling yeah. fear pews out of fear out of fear yeah, of yeah. some conscious torment for eternity yeah. rather than because there's some great treasure that people ought to be yeah. discovering and after. i noticed how many people would say well if if this isn't how things are then what's the point of doing good oh my god are we really asking that question like all of the motivation to be good comes from I don't want to suffer. Like, think about it w- when you propose to Sarah or I ask Christian to marry me. Imagine, imagine saying to her, will you marry me? I mean, I don't want to be with Sheila. <laughs> You're better you know than Sheila. I mean? You know what I mean? I'd be slapped um, and kicked. I want to yeah. be with you because I don't want to be with her. Right. So you have whole giant religious reward systems built on you don't want to burn forever do you right um so you're i mean at at a limbic brain at a neural pathway to say actually that whole thing it doesn't transform it doesn't open your heart it doesn't make the world a better place that actually makes things miserable you're just calling some level you're just calling everything into question for some that's what i learned and i learned that some of these things are so deep within people's ordering of the universe that you're just, in some ways, even casually, even the subtitle of that book, uh, what's it, a, something about the fate of every single person who ever lived. I mean, it's even tongue-in-cheek from the get-go. Yeah. Um, or I think the first chapter where it's all the, what do you have to do? Do you have to say this? Do you have to do that? I mean, there's like a whole bunch of humor in that book, which I think a lot of people missed because it's like, 
Yeah. So, so well, most people who criticize it, it turns yeah. out, I don't think read it. <laughs> I remember we were, well, in the, we were in the airport. Remember that we were going to Montreal. It we, was ran into that, that. we ran into that famous chap who'd said all sorts of things about it. Yeah, he clearly hadn't read it. Oh, I remember that. That you, was a lot of fun. I remember you really enjoying that. Um, that was awesome. Well, it was funny to see how embarrassed so, he was. I mean, it oh, almost yeah, felt yeah, like yeah. like he was embarrassed about what he had said. When if it was an authentic thing, he would have. Hopefully, Ben. Yeah, you know. yeah, because it's yeah, this is all silly. Yeah. Um, so, so I don't. Yeah, so. your answer, your question's great. I have to. It was a while ago, so I have to think about it. But it, um, I don't. I, maybe I just. Maybe that book just somehow. Well, well, and then the, of course, there was just an astonishing number of people who were like, "Thank you. I've always thought this." Well, it was a hugely. I mean, you yeah. Know. That, that that's that that's actually was the dominant thing for me. Is people just it was wonderful. People just so grateful. Like, it, it put you yeah. on the cover of Time Magazine. <laughs> Which is a big deal in America. It got you to be one of Times 100, but it also but it also got a lot of people asking and these questions and talking about mm. it. And um, you know, uh, you introduced me to Aaron Rodgers. Uh, he's a very good friend of yours, and he was just on Danica uh, Danica Patrick's podcast. They they tend to know each other. It turns out, um, but he, one of the things, one of the books that he listed as one of the most important books he's read was Love Wins. Oh, that's great. And he specifically, I think, said it. I'm, I'm not going to quote him, but you know, he what he alluded to was that he was raised in, a, I think, a conservative Christian mm-hmm. home, and had all of these kind of fears and doubts lingering out there that he wasn't able to express. And I think your your book uh, yeah. really helped I've him kind of work through of some people. of that. Yeah. In some ways, in some ways, for a writer. One of the greatest gifts people have given me, writers have given me, is when somebody puts something in language that you've been carrying around but didn't have the language for. They really help you articulate oh, it. I yeah. mean, that's like, that's always just been for me so meaningful when you're reading along and be like, oh, that's how to, yeah. So, and it was around, yeah, that's a really amazing thing. It was kind of around that time that you decided to leave Mars Hill. Yeah, yeah, and then it was like the end of a chapter. Did you feel it was I mean, really clear? What was the connection between that book, leaving Mars Hill, and, and kind of the next chapter that you were that you were moving into? Uh, well, at one level, some very good friends of ours who were sort of the leaders of the church were like, "What do you want to do next?" And so now it's gotten to the point like when you put out a book like that, the that takes a tremendous amount of energy for the church just at a like people talking. So a bit of the tail wagging the dog, like we're doing this, we're doing this, we're doing this at the church. You put out a book and then, uh, it disrupts a, and the, then the yeah. f- people are calling, wanting to talk about that. Or it, so they were just like, what do you want to do next? Cause we want to figure out how to recalibrate this place so it can be a bit more mobile based on what you're up to, uh, which were all like great questions. But for the first time, Kristen and I were like, what is next? And our answer had always been, well, we're here doing this. I don't know. What do you mean what's next? <laughs> um, but for some reason, that question pierced in some new way. It was like, oh, we should actually probably think about this. And uh, it happened very quickly. It was like, oh, we need to keep going. A- and it was, there's a church here, and it's good. It's beautiful. And you've done what you can here. It was like a tremendous sense of relief. It was like a whooshing sound, like a, you're done. Wasn't this great? Congratulations. Yeah. Now, and it was like, well, what are you doing? Well, at some level, what I've always been doing is telling a story. Well, and when we were first married, we lived in Los Angeles. So we'd always thought we would actually would live here forever here in LA. And well, you're telling a story at some level. 
how far can you take the story? Well, where do people tell stories? I mean, it was like, right. let's go back where we always thought we were going to live. It was, it was like a, it was almost like an instantaneous, I mean, like walking the dog, the two of us. Yeah. And we were done here, aren't we? Yeah. It was like a couple of weeks of what is happening. It was all these new feelings we hadn't had. And then, oh yeah. And it was like that clear. It was time to leave, time to go there, time to go to that part of the country, time to go back where we started our life together, time to go to new spaces. And, and at some level, the third answer to your question is, I kept noticing that what I, I was, what I was doing was talking about what it means to be human. And that if you follow the Jesus story, it's about what it means to be human. And that in a large Christian church, that medium so profoundly shapes the message. But my work is to be announcing that everything is spiritual in spaces that aren't labeled spiritual or religious. And when I would like go out and tour and do like rock clubs and music venues around the country, it'd be like, this is, I think where my, something specific would <laughs> like happen. Like the Viper Room, right? When I, yeah. would be, when I would be at Viper Room doing a show, right? which honestly was at some level like a s- sermon as performance art. When I would be in clubs doing what I would do, yeah. I'd be like, the thing I was doing had extra, it like popped in a new way. Oh, so I would do uh, that thing about empire and the Bible being critique of empire. And that's like, like people would be like, no way. I've never heard that. Well, that's like really interesting. Like the implications, I just noticed that, that the things I was doing when I was not in, we're here to do religious stuff. When I was in these other spaces, it felt like I'd come home. Right. But it also had some sort of extra, it was almost like when the sermon was competing right there in the larger marketplace of ideas against, I don't know, not against isn't the word, but it was right alongside comedians and movies and bands and sure. plays was where it belonged. Well, it's, That's the best way to describe it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, if I'm understanding you correctly, what one part of what you're saying is that a lot of these traditions, you know, these religious traditions had been trying to put God in a box and God in a house and God in a, <laughs> a temple st- structure, a yeah, place, yeah. whatever a holy format place. Yeah. model. And what you kept doing was saying, Hey, look, it's my God's in here. But he's also, she, it's, it's out here everywhere. Business is sacred. Yeah. Law is sacred. Economics are sacred. Like the whole thing is spiritual. Like all of these things that we're doing, who we're electing, what our policies are, how we think about, Amazon. Um, I mean, all of this is profoundly spiritual work we're doing as human beings here. Or uh, Pierre de Chardin has this great line, we're not human beings having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Amen. Um, So, and I think that was like, I need to take that. I need to see where that goes, where that leads us. So... That's what we've been doing. I remember you guys came out to visit us in Laguna. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we were, I think we filmed a, awesome. a, a video for Love Wins in oh, our house. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and you know, we, we were hanging out. We were having a great, I think it was like, a few, I don't, can't remember how long it was, a few days, a week. And uh, and at the end of it, you're like, yeah, I think we're going to move out here. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, like a sabbatical? I know. <laughs> you were like, no, we're moving. And I was like, I well, wait, wait, what, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, I, I, was, know. I was nervous for you. Which is funny. I remember, I remember that being like, Oh, Dave is up for anything, but he's a little bit like, "Do you sure about this?" I said, "Yeah." <laughs> well, I, I am up for almost anything, but I also no, know, had, but no, I also know the good, costs. I also know there's risk yeah, no, and there's costs, right? Yeah, you had good right? brotherly, like, "Hey, dude, seriously, 
you thought about this? So, yeah, yeah. I think, yeah. You were so sure. The, the thing that struck yeah. me, and this is where I think, you know, having just kind of gone through this on my own, it's always unsettling to have, like, you've, you've built something, you've made something you're really proud of. It's not like just a job you don't like, but you've really created something that you're proud of and you love. It's your baby. Or I don't, I don't know mm. if that's too much to say about you and Mars Hill, but it's this, it's this organization that you've really been at the center of and helped, helped uh, you know, organize and, and create. And then you leave it. I mean, how do you... And maybe I, maybe I've already asked this question, but it's just to me that process is what most people struggle with, figuring it, yeah. being and, being afraid to leap, right? And at some level, let's back up. It was never yours in the first place. Amen. Yeah. So the sometimes the failure to leave is this profound sense of responsibility. Like this is my thing. I'm resp-. It was never yours in the first. You were its servant. Right. From the get go. Right. You gave it. You're, you gave it your best. That was the, that was only ever the task. Right. So oftentimes, there's a. Uh, it's easy to say that, by the way, and really hard to practice it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, and I, I what's helpful to me, there are these uh, like almost energetic postures. There is a grasping energy. Right. Where you're holding the thing in a way, it's it's it doesn't bring you life. Right, and then there is like an open palmed. Um, it's the difference between clenched fists or open palms at some level. Right, I'm here to give the best I can um, for now. Um, who knows how long we'll all be here together? So let's enjoy this. Let's throw ourselves into it. Let's see what we can make. Right. Oh, look! Anybody else sense it? Because I'm sensing it. This thing is what a beautiful thing we got to do. Now you're going to go here, and and we're going to stay. And beautiful. There's like an open handed thing and it was never mine in the first place I was just listening to a thing following it where it leads and so yeah it it got taken off my shoulders and away we go it's led you to remarkable places I mean you've you're you're good buddies with Carlton Cuse you guys have made a TV show together (laughs) Uh, well we we wrote some things but never got made but yeah you've um, yeah no it's been really 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 fun I mean you and Pete Holmes do a lot of amazing work together all sorts of some fantastic my, partnerships, so, you know, Peter Rollins, but <laughs> the, um, and of course you've got a great podcast, the Robcast. Um, you have a new book coming out. That's the same name as your tour. Yeah. That might that's, get announced here in the next year in the, in the near future. Oh, sorry. That's not out yet. <laughs> so there's a new book coming out. There could be. Yeah. Yeah. It might be related to something else that happened. There's a movie coming out about your tour. Is that right? Uh, yeah. The tour film will, will come out here sometime in 2020. So, I mean, yeah. you, you, you haven't been sitting idly by. How do, you, <laughs> how do you find the time to, and how do you organize your time to create all this stuff? No, my time is organized around my curiosity, around being full of life and following my curiosity. And things get created out of that. So uh, for a lot of people, you sort of exert yourself and then, when when you're done with the work, you try to fit in some life. Um, and uh, the goal is to have a life. And you'll actually end up being a thousand times more productive. Oh, okay. So let's make this very practical. Yeah, Think about your average business meeting. You're tired, a bit weary, a bit like, ugh. You're in the business meeting. And Carl and Joanne across the table start arguing about 
worrying about the third quarter numbers. You know, what are we going to do if the, I know I've had the same thing. Do you think we'll have to change like our strategy for that period? Like, and you're a little tired. So you let for 11 minutes in the meeting, they go on about what do you think the numbers are going to be? Are we going to find out? We're going to have to reallocate. Um, But we don't have the third quarter numbers. We're getting them next Thursday. Right. There's nothing to talk about. Right. But, but if you were present, rested here and nowhere else, top of your game, 30 seconds, 10 seconds into that conversation, you'd be like, what were the names again? Carl, John, Carl, John, we don't have the numbers. Next Thursday, we'll get the numbers. Talk about it. Then we'll talk about it. So, uh, in my experience, there are these endless little things happening where if you would have paused and not responded to that email out of a sense of urgency and given that email an extra 17 minutes, you would have leaned back in your chair and gone back in your history with that person. Is there anything I'm missing here? Because there's a little tension in this email. But you just wanted to get your inbox out. So you sent back that email, which actually escalated the funkiness. Right. But if you'd sat back in your chair, taken three minutes, and asked, sorted, searched, what's the real thing going on? Oh, I'm afraid to tell them no. Because <laughs> I want them to think I can do it all. In this case, I can't. And I'm dancing around the fact that I need to tell them I can't deliver that in the time they want it delivered. you'd probably just find somewhere in there the courage to just tell them, I can't meet your timetable. But instead, we're now on our fifth round of emails. You're arguing about something else, so nobody has to talk about the thing you don't want to talk about. In my experience, literally thousands of minutes and hours are like energy is being burned up because people aren't grounded, centered. You slept enough last night. You had time for some a workout. You know what I mean? Right. And I know this sounds all like, uh, like, ugh, what is this, a health magazine? But actually, this stuff no, no, is I, where the thing is. Well, so one it the, is where the thing is, life is found. A lot of people listen to this are very, um, you know, they, they have, they're looking at daily habits, routines. Yes. So yes. It's, it's why am I doing it? First big question. Um, you know, how did you yeah. do it? But then they're yeah. thinking about how do I structure and organize my life to do the things I yeah. want to do rather yeah, yeah, than yeah, things yeah. I have to do all the right. time. Um, how do you, I, I, I know some of this cause we've, we've spent some time, a fair bit of time together and I'm always pushing you on tide charts and you tend to have a more structured schedule around when you're going to read, when you're going to oh, write, yeah. when you're going to work. Mm-mm. Oh, you I'm don't. Okay. Charts. Yeah. No, you're, you're all tied charts I, now. I, I mean, I used to have a very like, you, you had some heavy writing I'd schedules and things. Desk. Yeah. Yeah, that stuff over the years, yeah. Has changed. Kristen's always like, don't tell people how you organize your days. They're not you. It's that, it doesn't make any sense anyway. So people <laughs> but have I would to, say, yeah. But I would say space. Uh, there's a great British writer named Carl Honore who has a, he talks about fast thinking and slow thinking. Fast thinking is you're cruising through your inbox, just cranking out stuff. You're mm. scheduling things. Slow thinking is you backed up, you took a deep breath. You took an hour and you thought through that issue. You took a walk. And that's where you actually got to the root of the issue, which is going to save you 900 emails because you realized. Um, so there's, there's this space that you create, which is why everybody's talking about meditation and headspace and contemplative prayer and you know all these things. Is It's in those spaces where you 
actually get to the roots of things, and then all these other things flow out of that. So you um, can step away from it far enough to observe you're it. Stick, you're stuck in fast thinking. Give me anybody in, first thing in the morning, and let's talk about what they're going to do that day. And give me an hour with that person. Like, let's delay the start of your day by an hour. Right. Let's talk through your to-do list. And let's see if an hour of serious reflection on your to-do list. I guarantee we could spot a whole world of things where you're like, oh, I was almost ready to spend on that today. Hmm. And I would have been wasting my... Yeah, you would have been wasting your time. When 10 minutes over on this issue... Man, you could really gotten something done in less time. Right. And I always, 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 always tell people, you present, rested, and focused with the fullness of your being in three things is worth exponentially more than you scattered, giving bits and pieces of energy on the fly to 10 or 100 things that you're kind of there, but you're also kind of distracted. You're, you're looking down at your phone. Um and those few things you choose to do with your fullness of your being, you didn't show up to the meeting late, you got there early, you had time to just, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and you, but then when you were in that meeting, you were there. Right. I mean, those people tilt the world for us. Like, you were, you're with one of those people who's like, they're here and nowhere else. This thing they're doing is going to get the fullness of their being. It changes everything. It's all about living deliberately. Otherwise, right? everybody's just like sliding across the surface. So I always tell people, and, and this is uh, one of the great gifts Kristen has given me again and again is uh, if you do less, you'll be so much happier because the fewer things will get the fullness of your being and it'll be so much more satisfying. Um, You're really good at that. I mean, one of the things I've noticed about you is... then. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, that's how it... I, I've noticed yeah. this with you that, um, <laughs> and I said this to you the other day when we were surfing at Sammy's and I, I, I meant it, I didn't mean it as a criticism at all. Um, but you had responded right away to a text I had sent you and I'd said something to the effect of, you know, I couldn't <laughs> believe how fast you responded to that. And you're like, Oh, I'm, you know, you said something about like, I'm sorry. I didn't respond. And I was like, no, like I don't expect you to respond. And <laughs> I know. I'm, no, but, I, yeah, no yeah. but but I mean yeah. that in a really good way yeah, yeah. because you're doing, you're living your life deliberately. You're focused yeah. on the things that matter and the yeah. urgent or even, yeah. even worse, the unurgent and unimportant things like, you yeah. know, don't need your immediate attention and you yeah. get to them, but it yeah. doesn't have to be right now. Yeah, and I had to, like, go through. I can't be responding to everybody all day long. I can't, so I have to just pick. Right. Uh, even even the, the voice that I use to do my work, you might not hear from me, and then when I put something together, hopefully it'll be something. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But I had to, like, go away. Every December I have to go away and think it all up again. Sure. So I go, I don't do anything. I, I stop the Robcast. I don't do any, and I just drift off. And I know I'm making progress when I look at my work and think, you do what? Do you like talk? <laughs> when I get to the point where I can't comprehend, when I, when I think that what I do is really strange. So that's the, generally that's like Christmas, New Year, first week of January. You do what? And it what? Like I have to get far enough away from it that I think it's strange. And then I have to completely think it all up all over again. 
I have to do that every, and it happens once in the summer too. I mean, I think um, you're explaining your newest um, tour to me, which I, I really apologize that I haven't gotten to, but I'm enjoying the video that I've seen so far. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. And I mean, one of the yeah. things that was really interesting to me was, you know, you've disrupted a lot of big ideas. You've helped people think <laughs> authentically about stories they've heard their whole lives and really see the, the deep truth in them that maybe they had been missing from the flannel graph version of it. But on this last tour, as I understand, you know, you unpack some deeply personal uh, elements that were, yeah, yeah, yeah. that you kind of, I think you felt were, you know, holding you back from seeing some bigger paths in your own oh, life. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that's always beginner's mind. You're endlessly returning to the wonder and awe of, oh, look what I just stumbled into. Because that's what everybody actually wants is the wonder and awe. Right. You don't actually want to be successful. Right. I mean, that's nice. That's the most boring movie on earth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to have a bunch of money. Great. I know a lot of people with a lot of money who are like a wreck. Right. So what you actually want is you want to wake up in the morning with a sense of, God, you believe we get to do this? How great is this? There's a very core childlike, which is different than childish, childlike wonder and awe about your own existence, which is actually the thing that everybody wants. So Kristen and I just decided to orient our entire lives around that wonder and awe. And I'll, man, I'll live in a van down by the river. I'll, like, when I, I remember, you like, seem to I'll, be doing okay. Whatever it takes. Yeah. Well, and this is the key thing for people. Well, it's nice that you can say that. No, this has been the value all along. Yeah. And for, for you organize around that, um, and then it just, and people always say, well, yeah, once you're successful, it's easy to talk about. It's like, no, no, no. The people that I know who are really thriving, these were the values way back right. at 25000 a year. Um, this, is, this is how we, st- we started out with a sense it's an adventure. Let's see where it takes us. Um, so I get, I, I get, it's like something that I get like really cranked up when people imply, well, you just adopted these ways of thinking. No, 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 no. And I, and I hope no, I, no, I didn't, no, you didn't apply no, you that. Didn't. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I, I know you've seen the same thing. Um, that company that's giving away a chunk of their profits to good causes. And you're like, well, it's obviously because they, they've made a ton of money. No, they were giving a chunk of their profits away when they started. Right. Um, they've been living generously the whole time. Yeah. They, that stuff's baked in. And you just happen to have caught wind of them because now they've hit your metric of or the, uh, a larger world sense of success. But th- but this stuff was in it from the get go, right? And that, and obviously, I was like, good to great. I mean, we have research on this now. Sure. That these companies, like, whoa, they're so innovative. It's, well, of course they can. They got a lot of money to spend. No, um, they're innovative because they're when innovative. they were in a garage, <laughs> right, right? They were willing to follow it where it leads. So, and somehow they managed to keep that value, when, even when they became <laughs> big and successful and yes. everyone wants to de-risk their world. Yes. They said, no, if we, we don't keep this risk and innovation over. at the center, we will not continue to leave. Right. And that's the thing. If there's one thing that for people is, obviously everybody has bills to pay, but the great work of your life is to move in these directions and to take these leaps and trust that that you and you're playing a long game here. If you're like, oh, I, I got to make so much. When I do something like, I, well, I'm going to have to make this much money next year. 
oh, get out. Like, obviously we all have bills, but no, 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 no. Where is the movement beyond the obvious bill pain that would fill you with some sense of wonder and awe and curiosity in life? And that stuff will, that'll, that'll pay off later. But that, people who are doing that, we always notice and want to hear more from them. You know what I mean? Like, that's how it works. It works upside down. If you're doing great work, people will notice it. Oh, God, yes. Well said. Do the work. Rob, this has been remarkable. (laughs) Well, yeah, it is. And I think, you know, it's it's hard to top that. Um, (laughs) I think that's a good place to leave this conversation. I hope we get to have another, um, at least in public. Love it. But I really appreciate you taking the time and uh, appreciate you helping me. And uh, Mm. I think a lot of other people think about breaking through barriers in their life and moving on to the next thing. Absolutely. This has been the Kick Aspirational (laughs) Podcast. Uh, This is not a spectator sport. We hope you've enjoyed it. But uh, more importantly, I'd really like to hear your questions, comments, concerns. And uh, more importantly, whatever you do this week, please be Kick Aspirational. (laughs) Sure, I'll talk.